Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really fired up to have Andy Towers back on the Philacrosophy podcast for our in-season edition, talking NCAA tournament brackets, champ, uh, conference championship games, and um, really fired up to have you on here. Andy, how you doing? Doing well. Good. So um, let's just dive right into it. Yeah. Um, obviously... A lot of really happy programs, some really sad programs and fans, and um, we're going to dive into this whole thing. Let's start off with the actual bracket itself, um, and let's just start at the top. Um, Penn State versus the winner of Marist and UMBC. I got a chance to watch the end of the Marist-Quinnipiac game, and I got a chance to watch the majority of the Vermont-UMBC game. Yeah. Both great games. Um, really happy for those coaches. Really sad for Chris Bice because I felt like they played a really good game in that game. I'm really happy for Coach Moran because he's built his program up to a point where they're making the NCAA tournaments, and you hate to see anybody lose, but it was a great game. Did you see that game? I did. I watched sort of the last uh, – I turned it on, and I think Vermont was winning by three, and I did watch it unfold. And you just got to hand it to UMBC. They showed so much will to win, and the fact that they were able to pull it out against what probably is a, a slightly more talented team in Vermont. Yeah. What a turnaround for Ryan Moran, those guys. They were 3-8 and eight at one point during the year, and I know that they lost a bunch of close games, but yeah. for a coaching staff to keep their players trusting that their hard work and commitment to the mission would pay off and then to have it actually ultimately pay off and for them to win the tournament and get the AQ that goes along with winning the AM East, you know, what a, what a finish for those guys. Huge. So Maris comes through with a huge 15-14 win over QPAC. Foster Cuomo from Quinnipiac, lefty Canadian, IMG product with four and two, really kind of kept him in it and had one of the highlights of the season with a top side lefty dodge and kind of a pairs offense and he spun back and just ripped and and I've never been so high anti-leaner with one hand. Uh, got the goalie step in, and it was sick. But but Maris holds on uh, to make it back to the NCAA tournament. So it was a sick game. Did you watch any of that one? No, I, I didn't get a follow. I just I do know though that Foster Cuomo has just had a great career for Quinnipiac. He's put up some huge numbers in his career. He has. Hey, real quick, back to the um, back to that Vermont game. Uh, quick question: that the, the officials called a three-minute unreleasable on Vermont on their face-off guy. They grabbed the face-off guy stick. So as a face-off guy, a former face-off guy, what, what's your take on the officials grabbing, you know, they got to grab a stick, grabbing the face-off guy stick. There's always a chance that that's going to be an illegal stick because they get warped during the course of games. Yeah. What's, what's the protocol and the fairness on that? And if you're going to grab it, you better grab the other team's face-off guy stick too, don't you think? Yeah, I think it's tough to enforce the dimensions of the face-off guy's stick simply due to, you know, what the actual battle does to the heads of the sticks, right? Uh, you know, I, I think if these 
referees are checking these sticks. I think what they really need to do is check the sticks before the face-off, you know, but that obviously is going to take a lot of time. Um, but you're right. You know, it just seems like a really, really tough thing to enforce given that everybody for the most part is committed to doing plungers or hard clamps. And the fact that that really significantly shrinks the dimensions of the stick and, you know, oftentimes leaves them illegal by definition, you know, tough to, tough to penalize without the other team. It's the complexion of the game. I mean, Semler was dominating, and um, and I have no idea if they checked the if they checked the uh, uh, UMBC sticks also because if they checked the UMBC faceoff stick and, and and then I think then I think it's fair, but I think it's important for for officials to bear in mind that if you're going to check a, fa a a stick in a championship game and it's going to be a faceoff guy stick, then check both faceoff guy sticks. You know, three hundred percent. Got to do that. Um, not to take anything away from UMBC because. They played really well. They played a great zone, um, but it was just an awesome game. So uh, let's move on to talking about uh, the Penn State, the number one seed, playing the winner of that uh, Marist versus UMBC game. Um, Penn State with, you know, a win, an overtime win over a really, really tough Curdy Hawkins team that's coming into their own right now. Um, I got a chance to watch that game on Saturday night. Man, what a game it was. That was, you know, right there with the game of the year, if not the best game of the whole year. It, it was incredible. Um, you got to hand it again to the Hopkins coaching staff for getting these guys to play their best at the most important time of the year. For them to beat Maryland two times in five days, when for all intents and purposes, at least I looked at Johns Hopkins after they played Penn State in the regular season game on Easter and thought this team is dead in the water. They simply aren't athletic enough to really be able to compete with the top tier teams. And they came back and they ended up beating Maryland the last regular season game, which I thought, even though they did it in convincing fashion, I didn't think that they'd be able to do it two times in a row. I thought for sure Maryland would beat them in the semis of the Big Ten tournament, and Hopkins comes out and does it again, almost almost the same way. Um, you know, and then they come in and they're playing Penn State in the finals, and I'm thinking, you know, there's just no way they're going to be able to stay within five goals at Penn State, even though they had been playing well. And they just kept coming and coming and coming. And when they actually went up 11-8 to eight going into the half, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to actually do it. They're winning faceoffs. They seem to be scoring goals at, at ease versus Penn State, um, you know, and, 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 you know, Penn State scores to go up 17-15 with about 50 seconds left. And even though Hopkins had been winning faceoffs, I just didn't think there was any way they were going to be able to actually push the game into overtime. And sure enough, they scored two sick goals. Joey Epstein, 7-2. and two. Joey Epstein, he's – I mean, he is – uh, you know what's sad is almost like any other year, he may be a first-team All-American. Yeah. But this year, he probably ends up as a third-team All-American. Um, but what a year. Great to see Hopkins play Evan Zinn, number 29, freshman. Brings that a level of athleticism and speed to their team that they desperately need in the midfield. And sure enough, he ends up playing the wing on the face-off getting a pivotal ground ball, creates separation, throws it to Epstein, and Epstein sticks a bomb for them to tie it up. And, and even though they lost in overtime, they did earn their way into this NCAA tournament, and they're going to be a tough team. 
to play. I mean, I, I you know, this is not the right time to be playing Johns Hopkins. And while they do go out to Notre Dame, I, I'm going to say right now that I, I think Johns Hopkins goes out there and I think they win the game. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the difference in the game seems to be that, you know, uh, goal, goalie play in, the, in that Colby Kinnis had 13 saves and Ryan Darby only had six. The other, no, the other note on this one that's really interesting is just, you know, if this game was played last year, you know, it probably would have been an 11-10 game. But the shot clock era caused these offenses that are really good to have to play and keep scoring and scoring and scoring. I think many people feel like the shot clock was going to be a defensive rule because it, it kind of limits the offense. Right. In the end, it makes them play faster. And if they've got good efficiency and good ability, and these teams both do, you're going to see some of these 18-17 games. Pretty amazing. No question. I, I'll tell you, this, this uh, face-off guy, Naruski, for Johns Hopkins is really, really good. Um, he is making them a team that's capable of beating anyone. And well, you know, our series, you know, got soaked in that game. I don't know if he was hurt or if he was losing. Well, he, but he, he didn't finish the game. So this guy, this guy has now done it, you know, three weeks in a row. He, he did really well when Penn State blew Hopkins out on Easter. Naruski did really well. Yeah. And this is a, this is a guy that is able to get Hopkins offense the ball and I think Hopkins' offense is clearly sort of settled into who they are. And I think with them feeling confidently that they're going to get, you know, at least half the possessions after a goal is scored or beyond, you know, you're starting to see a team that, that, that is really hitting their stride. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if they make a run in this tournament. And, and I agree. Yeah win and, and then win again and maybe get to the final four. They could. I mean, they, they could. And I did not feel that way. I've never flipped so far on one team in a quicker span than I have on Johns Hopkins in the last two weeks. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing. They're so efficient and smart on offense. I mean, they, they seem like they're not athletic enough, but, you know, Joey Epstein, um, you know, can, can stretch you as a shooter and he can be a, a, a dodger and a playmaker. And then Kyle Mark can be a shooter. Um, like you said, uh, they've got they've got Zinn, that's unbelievable athlete, and they got all these guys, you know, like D Simone, that are just they're smart and they they play near the net. Everything they do is kind of near the goal line, and if you screw up there, you got to slide or they're scoring. And if you slide, they can shoot. Forey Smith really coming through with some great off the ball plays, and Cole Williams, you know, he's a force, and you're going to have to deal with it. So they've got nice parts. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they come up with tough ground balls. They're winning faceoffs. It's a great recipe. I like Cole. I like Cole Williams as a, as a complimentary player much yeah. more than as a lead player. You know, yeah. I think that you know when they're trying to feature him as the lead initiator, that's not a good role for him. I just don't think he's laterally quick enough to be able to consistently draw a double team, but more importantly, get away from a double team and be the, and be the lead initiator that way. If he's the secondary. Dodger or gets his opportunities within the flow of their offense. That's where he's at his best. And that's where Hopkins is at their best. Um, so I, I, I think even though there's a slight decrease in his numbers statistically, I think that Hopkins is much, much more dangerous. I agree. Playing that role. He's, he's such a handful when he catches it on the backside and slams his body into you. I agree. That's simple.
And when he does that on the ball side, you know, he's just easier to defend. They can kind of jump on him. The Philocrosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today. No let's talk about uh, let's the, so the winner of the Penn State you know, uh, Maris-UMBC matchup will have to face the winner of Loyola and Syracuse. Number eight, Loyola. Um, losing in the Patriot League final 7-5 to Army. Um, What were your thoughts? Did you watch that Patriot final? Huge win for Army. Um, I was a pointing offense for Loyola. I didn't get to watch it. I was – we had a St. Luke's game, and then I had to drive right to a sixth-grade game after that. But I was following it um, in my earpiece as I was driving. And, you know, selfishly just couldn't have been happier about – hearing what Johnny Surtick did to Pat Spencer in that outing, holding him, I think, to just one assist on the game. But more importantly for Army, them finding a way to hold down Loyola's offense and win the game 7-5. Um, you know, oddly, I had predicted that that Army would beat Loyola in the regular season game. And while they jumped on top of them and, and played a great game, Loyola was able to pull away in the fourth quarter of the regular season game. But in this game, they, they couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, Army is going to present some major problems for UPenn on Saturday with what they bring to the field. Um, I did get a chance to watch this game. And uh, Loyola, they were just – they were stagnant on offense. You know, the ball kind of sat in one person's stick a lot. Um, I'm not sure – you know, sort of did an unbelievable job. And um, and, But yet, you know, Pat Spencer, you know, kind of didn't touch the ball all that much either. It seemed – it felt that way. You know, I don't have stats on that. Army, you know, got saves. They, they play tough. They play hard. They play great defense. You know, their offense was not great. It was sloppy. But they got the job done and held on to a 7-5 win. So, uh, good for them. Um, what are your thoughts about uh, this Loyola-Syracuse matchup? My thoughts are that Syracuse is going to win the game. Uh, you know, I just don't like the way that – Pat Spencer's played the last few weeks. Now, listen, this guy is, you know, an unbelievably good player. He's had a tremendous lacrosse career in college. And he's going to go and he's hopefully he tears up college hoop for a year or two or whatever he does. And, and, you know, I think he's going to be a great pro lacrosse player when he eventually gets to the league if if that's what ultimately happens, if that's the choices that he makes. Um, But I don't like Pat Spencer's game if he isn't using lateral quickness, lateral quickness and explosiveness, if he's not a speed dodger, he just blends in. You know, he played a similar game against Duke when they went down and they played them and Cade Van Raphorst, you know, really took him out of the game. And my feeling is that Loyola goes how Pat Spencer goes. And if Pat Spencer isn't getting it done, it seems that the – uh, you know, the people that feed off of him, Kevin Lindley, Scanlon, you know, it's kind of like the Pat Spencer ecosystem, right? If, if, if Pat Spencer isn't dodging hard and creating slides with speed, 
I just think that Loyola is going to struggle. And I think that Nick Mellon and more importantly, Syracuse's overall team defense is going to be uh, a real problem for Loyola. And I think that while both offenses are very good, I think that Syracuse's offense through balance and a six-man crew, just a more complete unit, is going to present a lot more difficult challenge for Loyola's defense than Loyola's offense is for Syracuse's defense. And I think then, of course, that's going to put a pretty big emphasis on who's successful at the faceoff act. I've been, I've been wrong with Bailey Savio all year long. When I've said he's going to get killed, he wins. And when I said he's going to win, he gets beaten. Um, but I think he's going to have his hands full in this game. And if I'm wrong again and Loyola wins faceoffs, then maybe they go on and they win the game. But i got to be honest with you, I think Syracuse is going to win the, the faceoff battle with their unit. And I feel that Drake Porter and, and Stover are going to offset each other. But I just feel that um, Syracuse has more weapons. They're, they're, more, uh, they're a more balanced team than Loyola. And even though they're playing at Loyola, I think Syracuse comes out of this game. Yeah, I agree. I think Syracuse, um, man, they just play smart. Now, Syracuse, interestingly, they haven't had great NCAA tournaments over the last number of years, even though they've had excellent regular seasons. And I, I don't know what to attribute it to. Um, maybe they ran into good teams, but I, I love their way they, they play. I really do. I love their offense. I think they play really good defense. I think, I think they got a really good cover guy. And they got, and they got arguably the best long stick video in the country. I think they got a great cover guy that's going to be able to, he's an under, Mellon's an undersized guy. I think they got a great cover guy in Mellon and I know he's a little undersized, but I think it's a nice matchup for Spencer. Um, and, um, I, I just think Syracuse can outscore if it comes into a scoring battle. Uh, but Mel Mellon, even though he is undersized, he's undersized like Harold Drum was undersized. Right. I mean, it's he's under he's an undersized guy that loves playing a bigger guy. I mean, and, and, and bigger guys don't always love that. And I agree with you, like, you know, with Pat Spencer, you know, it seemed like he used his speed and quickness more when he was like a freshman than he does now. Well, that that's 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 the hardest thing for defenders to cover. Speed. You know. Violent change of direction, speed, contact. And if you aren't setting up your contact with speed, you're, you're a lot easier to cover. You know, outside of sort of Lyle Thompson and John Grant Jr., I don't know many guys that can slow dodge and be incredibly effective consistently. And that, to me, is not Pat Spencer's. That's not when Pat Spencer is at his best. Pat Spencer is at his best when he, when he uses speed to set up power. He's running by it. Yep. All right, so let's talk about um, the next segment of the bracket. Number five, Yale versus Georgetown. Kevin Warren, two years in a row. They're kind of overlooked, and they're in the NCAA tournament with championship, Big East championship wins over Bill Terry in Denver, which is, you know, incredibly impressive. Uh, did you get a chance to watch that Denver-Georgetown game at all? I did. I watched, I watched the whole thing, and I, I, I really am hoping – that somebody comes out with a video of like college and cross coasters going crazy. And, and, and instead of like girls in Florida, you know, flashing people in bars, it's really just like a microcosm of Kevin Warren celebrating big wins throughout his coaching career because <laughs> watching him beat Denver and roll around on the turf <laughs> with Phipps or whoever that was, I mean, is there anything better than that, watching him just celebrate? I mean, what a great win for Georgetown so at Denver, where they had just lost 
few weeks ago and to come back and they beat him. They beat him convincingly. They did. Him they did. And you know, he's a great coach. And I think people like, you know, you know, had such high expectations for Georgetown when he took the job. And and it was, you know, it's not easy. We've said this a lot with with Jeff Tambroni. Like everyone expected, you know, you know, that Jeff was just gonna like get right back to the national championship final four. Um, and it takes time because you have to build a culture and cultures in college don't change overnight. You know, you, it takes time. Um, and they had, you know, they had tragedies similar to the tragedies that, that uh, Penn State had uh, with the death of one of their defensemen, um, you know, four years ago. But it really tragic. And yeah. you know, just to build on your point as it relates to developing a culture, you know, it's one thing to take over a program that, you know, is new and doesn't have any culture you know, right. the Marquette or High right. or Richmond, you know, that's, that's one challenge. But one that I think is even greater is to take over a program with a losing culture and have to actually change it completely. And, and even though you may inherit some great players, the fact is that those great players don't possess the skill sets and the IQ necessary to you know fit into your respective plan as a coach or don't necessarily have the characteristics as people that you want to take on as characteristics of the culture of your program you know that's also something that can delay programs turning around but Kevin Warren to his credit has ridden out the storm and has now won the Big East for the second consecutive year after, you know, I think we all felt they were going to fall off this year. Because he graduated a lot. Yeah. I mean, just, he just, what an unbelievable job again. You know, here he is. So I'm so happy for him. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, so they're going to play Yale. Um, I watched the Yale Penn game. I watched the Yale Cornell game. You know, um, last year Yale lost in the, conference championship game and they were able to come back and win a national championship some might say it was a good thing for them to have lost that game last year in Cornell this year I don't know if I feel the same way because they actually got beat in a way that uh was concerning to me in the sense that I just I just didn't see the same spark on on really on either side that I had seen and then face-offs wise um Gallagher just did an unbelievable job against TD yeah no question about it I mean TD Erland has clearly statistically proven that he is the best college face-off man of all time. Uh, but I'll tell you this, Ivy League championship yesterday, he got his ass kicked by Kyle Gallagher. And Kyle Gallagher, I think the final numbers were, you know, 16 out of 27, I think the final numbers were. So, you know, he wins roughly 60%. The reality is he probably controlled 85%. And through Yale's wing play, they were able to scrap you know, four or five wins out of what really were losses. You know, they were losses at the X. And Gallagher, you know, to have that level of domination over somebody that's dominated everybody since he's come into college really makes Penn a threat to win it all. And you and I have spoken on the podcast the last three, four weeks about UPenn, but UPenn has all the parts to win the national championship. They've got a really, really dominant face-off guy who's, who's – who's facing off at his best right now. They got a goalie that stepped up and made all the saves that he needed to make, including, you know, three or four jaw-dropping saves as well. 
They've got a lead cover guy in a van check. They've got complementary defensive pieces as well that are, uh, you know, juniors and seniors. They've got a, you know, momentum changing freshman long stick midfielder in Farrar. They've got, you know, older short stick D middies. And then, of course, on the offensive end, they've got an offense that is just flat out scary as hell. And the fact that this was a one goal game yesterday could have been a five goal victory for Penn if Sam Hanley decides to take overhand bounce shots off the ground. I mean, the fact is, is Sam Hanley, in my opinion, is probably the, the midfielder of the year this year. To me, there's no question. And he only had 0-1 yesterday, but he had his chances. And Listen, he, he, he was taking 10 shots, and all of them were good shots. And a lot of them hit the goalie in the stick before the goalie could move out of the way. Yeah. You know, he simply takes them low or just not stick side. Instead of zero goals, he ends up with three goals, potentially five goals. And this 12-11 victory for Penn is, is really closer to, to 16 to 10. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the facts. Um, and so this, this Penn team is, is scary. They, they could win it all. With that said, with Johnny Serta coming to town and A.J. Barreto and Army playing the way that they're playing, if Army can compete at the faceoff X, you know, that's, that's a team that you just don't want to see in the first round because Army's coming in to kick your ass. That's where they're coming in. And they're going to show up and they're going to compete for 60 minutes. And while Penn is a more complete team in playing their best, that's, that's not a great team to get in the first round. So when we talk about Penn and West Point, the other side of the uh, – so the winner of Yale and Georgetown play the winner of Penn and West Point. And the game is – the quarterfinal game to get to the Final Four is in East Hartford, um, which I is – I, I, you know, I called, I called the first five seeds and tweeted it out. But I got to say, I'm just so bummed out that they put Penn and Yale in a position to meet in the corners because yeah. I got to be, I, I think that they're arguably the two best teams in the country. I have them as absolutely in the top four teams in the country. And even though I do believe that the seeding was correct, I, I think it's right based on everybody's body of work, I'm just disappointed that Penn and Yale ended up on the same side of the bracket, let alone have to meet each other in the quarters. And that's assuming they win. There's no guarantees that, you know, that both or even one of them are going to beat no you know, Army and Georgetown. Those teams, it could easily be Army versus Georgetown. And, and then, you know, it is what it is. But it just seems like a disappointing outcome even though I did think that the seating was correct based on everybody's body of work. I agree with you. Although I do think Yale and Penn are going to meet in the quarterfinals. And I also say that I think it's really difficult to beat a team three times in a year. Question. There's no um, question. Was the last champion, what was the last champion to beat a, a conference opponent for, for three times in a season? I don't know if I really know this answer for sure, but I have a great example of it though. Loyola beat Denver three times in 2012. Remember that? I do remember that. And there were battles every single time. Mark Matthews had that unbelievable, like, catch and finish. I mean, it was just, like, incredible lacrosse. Wow. I'm not sure how many times that's happened. It's really, really hard to do. Right. I don't know. Duke, Virginia, man, I don't know. Like, I, that's a really – hasn't been in in a while. So. I, I would – listen, I thought that Yale was going to beat Penn. Um in the Ivy League championship, and I was certainly wrong. And, you know, what's scary for Yale is that 
Penn, even though they won another one-goal game versus Yale, they beat them, in my opinion, more soundly in this game. I was waiting for Penn to separate with the way the game was playing. And you got to credit Andy Shea and, you know, Yale. They, they, they played really, really hard. But it just seemed like, you know, Penn's goals were easier to get than Yale's. And well, it seemed like Penn was, was beating their man more cleanly. You know, yeah. Like, you know, even, even Chris Fake, there are some times – now, I know that they slid to Fake probably a little bit more than they probably want, wished they had, right? I mean, there was a couple times they slid, and it's like, well, we got to just not slide to him. But, but there were some – you know, the, the, even the middies, like, got steps to the middle and just, you know, literally, like, kind of untouched. So, I feel like uh, maybe it was just a, an off day sort of defensively matchup-wise for Yale, but, um, but that's what it seemed like. And I think well, that's the, why – The other side of it was how about – how good Penn zone defense was yeah. against Yale. And that was just like, I was just watching that. And I'm like, this is incredible watching how quickly and efficiently Yale moves the ball around the perimeter, winds up, winds up, winds up. And right when you think they're going to shoot it, they do one more. And Penn does a great job of scraping out and rotating. And they, you know, I, I just couldn't get over, number one, how well Yale moved the ball. But it seemed like as well as they moved the ball, Penn was just a quarter step ahead of them with their defense, and nothing was easy for Yale. And then you marry that up with the fact that Gallagher, you know, beats Yale um, at the faceoff X the way that he did. I mean, that's, that's the difference in the game. It really is the difference in the game. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com. All right, number three, Virginia versus Bobby Moe, Robert Morris out of the NEC. Thoughts on this game? I think Virginia's going to have way too much for him. You know, Robert Morris has done a great job of picking it up when they absolutely had their back against the wall and for them to come back and win the NEC the way that they did, beat two good teams. Um, you know, really impressive considering they had a real slow start to the year. But to their credit, they came back and they won when they had to win and they've earned their way into the – the NCAA tournament again. And last year they put a real scare into Maryland. I thought that they were the better team for, you know, three quarters, the first three quarters of the game last year. And, um, but they're running into a Virginia team that is hitting on all cylinders, just put their best defensive performance of the year by far, you know, when it mattered most in the ACC championship against Notre Dame and their offense is phenomenal. You know, they've got that sort of five headed monster on offense. Yeah. And if they're going to get, the defensive effort, the way that they got it against Notre Dame this past weekend, Virginia is a very, very real threat to win the whole thing. So, um, yeah. you know, I see there's a major, major difference between getting the three seed and then the four seed and beyond. You know, Penn, in my opinion, has their hands really full against Army and, and Yale against Georgetown and Towson against Maryland. And all of those games are really, really tough games. But I look at you know, Penn State versus the winner of Marist and UMBC, certainly Virginia versus Robert Morris. I do think that Duke is going to have a much greater challenge than, than 
maybe they they think. Um, although Richmond, when they played in the regular season, it was like the second or third game of the week of the of the season. Richmond went up three zip, and they they eventually I think lost eleven to seven in that game. But Richmond was right there all the way through the end of the third quarter, and that was only decided down the stretch of the fourth quarter. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Richmond play Duke really really well. But I expect Penn State to blow out the winner of the Marist UMBC game, and I expect Virginia to blow out Robert Morris. Virginia had a pretty darn impressive showing against Notre Dame. I mean, they just dominated Notre Dame, you know, really struggled offensively, and that was kind of a disappointment to roll into the tournament that way, especially since last year in the NCAA tournament they struggled. The year before, offensively, they struggled. Um, you know, maybe they're happy not to be playing Hopkins, but – um, but Virginia, you know, they've, they've got, like, legitimate first-team All-American talent, whether those, you know, in, in, in three, three or four positions, really. I mean, three or four of the best players in the country. But if you want to count Laviano, you know, if there was a first-team All-American for a crease guy, <laughs> he'd probably be a first-teamer. So well, I'd, I'd, put, I'd, put Kevin Lindley, I'd put Kevin Lindley ahead of him, but I'd put Ian Laviano as, as probably number two. And I wouldn't put Mac O'Keefe because I feel like he's a, he's a perimeter shooter, a little more like Scotty Heller. Um, you know, but as a true inside guy, you yeah. know, I got Ian Laviano as the second best one in the country behind only Kevin Lillian. All right, so number six, Towson hosting Maryland. Um, thoughts about this matchup? I got to think the Towson guys are pumped about this, you know, as sort of the little brother to Maryland for so long. I think that Towson comes into this game. Now, let's see what happens with Woodall. You know, I've heard rumors that he has a broken jaw. I don't know if that's true. I, I, I just heard it for the first time today. I hope it's not true. Um, because if Woodall plays in this game, I think Towson will win. I do. Um, but if Woodall doesn't play and they don't get face-off dominance, I, I, I think that Maryland, even though they haven't played well in the last week, I just think that they're going to be a tough team to play. With that said, I think Maryland looks at this game and says, God, I can't believe we got to go to Towson with Towson's respective strength. I think Towson plays with a real chip on their shoulder. And Sean Nadalin's going to get these guys, you know, uh, they're going to be rabid coming out for this game. Um, and so Maryland needs to, they need, Maryland needs to get off to a good start. But if Towson wins faceoffs, Maryland's defense is not going to be able to hold them down, I don't think. Um, so let's see what happens. Let's see what I, – I, I'm going to pick Towson in this game. I'm just telling you right now. Notre Dame Hopkins, number seven. Yeah, we, Notre Dame hosting Johns Hopkins, who's really hot right now. Yeah, they are. I mean, uh, we talked about it a little bit when we were reviewing the conference championships. I think Hopkins is playing at a great level, and I think Notre Dame – is uh, on their heels a little bit. And even though they made the ACC final, um, you know, I just feel like that kind of performance on that platform on TV against Virginia, it's got to shake your confidence a little bit. And I think as good as Charlie Leonard is, and he is a warrior, I think he's going to have his hands full with Hopkins, the Ruski at the X. If Hopkins wins faceoffs, I can see them wearing down Notre Dame uh, a lot like Virginia was able to do. I don't think Johns Hopkins has the same amount of talent as Virginia. Um, but I do think that they are, like you said, playing really, really well at this point. And certainly, you know, the way they played Penn State on Saturday night, coming off those two impressive wins, the way that they did against Maryland, it's certainly going to create some, uh, some anxiety for Notre Dame. And they're going to have their hands full with Hopkins at home on Sunday night. 
You already touched on it, but uh, number two, Duke hosting Richmond on the Sunday night game. That's usually a Syracuse game on the Sunday night game. It is. But this year, it's Duke. Thoughts on that game? You already kind of touched on it, but. You know, I, I think that um, what an unbelievable turnaround for Dan Shimati. You know, they, they've, they've gone in the one seed in the SOCON conference, you know, a few times, and, and they go in this year, and they, after losing the high point, you know, they come back and they really played well against High Point, uh, you know, in the conference final. And I, I thought High Point was going to win the game, especially after they just beat the hell out of Jacksonville 17-2 to or whatever that final score was. It was really a shocking score. I didn't think, you know, that would happen. I, I thought they would win, but I didn't think they'd beat Jacksonville to that degree. And I think that they were primed coming into this Richmond game but like we've seen so many times, you know, one team wins the, the last regular season game and then the other team comes back and beats them, you know, in the conference tournament. It happens all the time. And, you know, Dan Shimati, to his credit and their staff, they found a way to beat what, you know, many would have considered a, a really, really good team. Uh, they are. They are a really good team. And for them to beat High Point um, when it mattered most, you know, create some momentum for them to come in and play Duke and certainly Duke expected to win this game is going to help Richmond's sort of nothing to lose mentality. And I, you know, we'll see what happens here. Duke needs to win faceoffs in this game. That's for sure. It's now time for the Oxia time Ivy league review. We've already kind of covered the games. So let's get into uh, a couple things. Number one, um, John Canaris has got to be so pumped. Um, the founder of By the way, did you see the Oxyotime commercial on, on, on TV? Did you see I, John on there? What's that? Did you see during the Ivy League championships the Oxyotime commercial with John Canaris in there talking about Penn and talking about his watches? I did. I did. It's awesome. The watches are awesome. John Canaris reached out to us at the beginning of the year when we started our podcast and said, wanted to sponsor our podcast because his passions in life are his – uh, Penn Quakers and his, and his memories of playing that, uh, playing for that program, all his buddies and all the great wins and, and probably tough losses. Um, but he's also really passionate about his new business, which is Oxia Time. He creates these, he, he basically makes $5,000 watches, Swiss watches. And, and because he doesn't have overhead and because uh, he doesn't have, you know, uh, middlemen, he's able to sell this watch, this amazing watch for about under a thousand bucks. Andy, you and I both have these watches. Um, how are you, what are your thoughts uh, on John Canaris and on OxyTime and how it's all working out for Penn Quakers and all of it? It's all coming together for OxyTime, Penn Lacrosse, and John Canaris. Um, you know, what a, what a time for John Canaris to launch this timepiece initiative. You know, clearly the watch's quality speaks for themselves. They just incredibly high end. Uh, you know, timepieces, absolutely. But listen, they, they kind of parallel the success that Penn is having right now. I mean, it's arguably the hottest team in the country at this point. Um, John Canaris, it's all, it's all coming together for all three of those entities. <laughs> no doubt. So what's so cool about these watches, and if you saw the commercial, you'll see how cool they look. Um, but the logo, 
Um, you know, for us having our brown logo on our watch and for him having his pen logo, you know, I've got the shield, you've got the, uh, the B, the brown B with the uh, green Ivy around it. And, you know, it, it, it brings you back and it does remind you of the, some of the greatest times of your life. And so with that, let's do our Oxy time Ivy league review. I want to talk about 1992. I'm an assistant coach at Yale and we go down in the first round and play Navy at Navy. And uh, I think we won the game like nine to four and Rich Dressler had 22 saves in a nine, four win. So people that don't know Rich Dressler, Rich Dressler was, is, is one of the greatest goalkeepers in the history of Ivy league. And, and even in, in NCAA lacrosse, this kid was like five, eight, 137 pounds, a lefty who threw the ball righty. Okay. So he'd like make a save and switch it over to his right and, and throw outlets. I knew the kid since he was 13 because I used to, he used to go to this camp called camp Cedar. And then my, after my freshman year at Brown, Jeff Hacker owned this camp and I went up and worked the camp and I shot on the kid all summer long. And he was just a fearless goalie, unbelievable. Um, and um, he led us to, uh, to the second round where we had to go up and play Syracuse. But my Ivy League flashback was to that 1992 game with guys like Josh McHugh, with Jeff Curran, Brendan Sheehan, um, Dan Detola, um, yes, Dominovich. Um, just awesome guys. I'm sure I'm leaving uh, Simon of Duxbury. <laughs> and, um, Simon of Duxbury. That team, that team was really, really good. Richie Dressler was unbelievable. You know, the funny thing is, is during that time, there were three of the very best goalies in the country, literally the three best goalies in the country that year. Uh, th those years, I should say, between Scott Batchgalupa, who was the Princeton goaltender there, uh, Jay Stalford at Brown, uh, and Richie Dressler, you literally had the three best goalies in the country. I think Chris Saran, I would put in that group as well. He was up at Syracuse. Yeah. But those three guys, you know, I, I think that the way that it worked out was that I think they were all in the same grade, too. And, and Batch Calupo, I want to say, was a three-time first-team All-American and a second-team All-American as a freshman. Stolf played um, behind Pat Flynn for two years, so he didn't start until he was a junior. But he ended up making first-team All-Ivy. And Scott Batch Calupo, who was first-team All-American. So, so Stolf was first-team All-Ivy, second-team All-American. Batch Calupo was first-team All-American, second-team All-Ivy. And Richie Dressler, you know, I think was HM, All-Ivy, and maybe third-team All-American. But I think that through the opinion of many, Richie Dressler may have been the best of all. You know, I'm biased. I know. I know. He was phenomenal. I mean, those guys, uh, you know, had some, you know, there, there was some great goalie battles. And Princeton, you know, won the national championship that year. So, you know, to the, to the winners go the spoils. But I forgot to mention a couple of guys, Clayton Simmers. Yeah, I know Clayton. Great player, tough kid. And how about Dave Ryan? Dave Ryan was great. Dave Ryan, the long pole. was awesome, too. Dimitch was great. Dave, Dave Ryan's from Fayetteville Manlius. Manlius mounted his steed. <laughs> and with the reins came the locusts. And soon he went off to fight for Manlius and Fabius. That was the... Uh, the chatter of driving through upstate New York to the Syracuse Final Four in 91. <laughs> so, awesome. um, so for those of you who are wondering what the hell we're talking about, now it's time for Oxia Time Ivy League Player of the Week. 
And I'm going with Reed Junkin with 16 saves. As you said, a lot of them with the acrobatic, amazing variety. Uh, a huge win of Penn over Yale in the conference championship game. Yeah. Well, easy for me. I'm going with Kyle Gallagher, the UPenn face-off guy. What an unbelievable game. Uh, you know, I, I, I think you got to be – this. I, I had a conversation yesterday, you know, and T. Ireland obviously is, is deserving of every award that he gets. But you kind of look at this game, right, and the fact that Penn went 6-0 and and won the Ivy Championship. They just won the Ivy League tournament. Penn plays Yale during the regular season, and they end up winning in, what, double overtime or triple overtime. Yeah. And Gallagher, for all intents and purposes, splits with T.D. Erland in that game. Gallagher, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, controls – you know, conservatively, 80% of yesterday's draws. They only win, whatever, 62% statistically, but he controlled the draws. He, he, he ran Ireland out of the game. He did, and they put up Joe Newman in there. Now, I don't know whether that was due to injury to Ireland or not, but all I know is that Kyle Gallagher dominated him in this game. Uh, I got to say, I think that Kyle Gallagher should have been first team all Ivy. I think he earned it. And it's not a knock on T.D. Erland. I think T.D. Erland deserves first-team All-American. But I think Kyle Gallagher should have been the first-team All-Ivy Fogo. I think he, he proved it. And I think that, frankly, Sam Hamley should have been the Ivy League Player of the Year this year as a freshman midfielder. I agree. With I think he's the best midfielder in the country. I agree. And even though he's a freshman um, – to me, he, he, he was deserving of the Ivy League Player of the Year and I think should be National Midfielder of the Year based on the numbers that he's put up. And keep in mind, he's not a midfielder that I would take over that kid right now in, in Division One lacrosse. Who are the other midfielders, right? If you're looking at the first-team American midfielders, it's Doc Aiken, it's yep. Brian Costabile, it's yep. Sam Hanley, and it's Chase Scanlon. Those are the four best midfielders. Sam Hanley is 42-25. and 25 right? And he's a freshman and he, and he, and he kind of like didn't play that much for the first three games, you know? And, and, and he statistically didn't do much yesterday. They've played 14 games. He's got 67 points and for all intents and purposes, didn't really even play that much the first three games. You and know? He doesn't even hang on to the ball that much. He like moves it, you know, he just attacks it and hammers the ball. Um, you know, he's just, he does look like he's, you know, I think you said this analogy before, but it looks like he's like somebody's dad out there. Yeah, he looks like he's somebody's father. Like, and somebody's big father. <laughs> so that was our Oxia Time Ivy League review. If you're interested in learning more about Oxy Time, go to oxiatime.com. Check out the broad array of styles. They've got tons of different watches. They've got sportier ones. They've got dressier ones. They've got different bands. But um, and you can get your Ivy League logo really subtly placed in the watch, and they're just beautiful watches. Check them out. It's a great thing to do for graduation gifts. Um, if you're a Penn Quaker and you're not getting an Oxia Time piece, then you're out of your mind. If you're if you're a former Quaker, you got to get this done. But if you're a Yale Bulldog, I would do it too. So um, let's move on here for our picks, Andy. 
and I'm going to, uh, I usually don't join you in the picks, but this time I'm going to do it. Good. So let's do it. Penn State, Marist or UMBC? Penn State. Over? Uh, UMBC. Same. Loyola, Syracuse. Syracuse. Same. Yale, Georgetown. Yale. Same. Penn, Army. Penn. Same. Virginia, Robert Morris. Virginia. Same. Towson, Maryland. Towson. I'm going Maryland. Notre Dame, Hopkins. Hopkins. Same. Duke, Richmond. Duke. All right. Penn State, Syracuse. This is going to be a really close game. I, 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 you know, Syracuse comes in this game, expect them to win, um, assuming they get past Loyola, but I'm going to say Penn State. Okay. Yale Penn, third game in a row. I, mean, I got Yale. I got Yale. Yale. I'm going Penn. Virginia versus the winner of – so you think it's Towson. Who's going to win the Virginia-Towson game for you? Virginia. I think Virginia is going to beat Maryland. Uh, who's going to win the Hopkins-Duke game? Uh, I think that uh, – wow, this is really, really interesting game. Um, I think that Duke is going to win. I think Hopkins is going to win. Okay, so, so who's your final four then? My final four is Penn State, Yale, Duke, and Virginia. And I'm going Penn State, Penn, Hopkins, and Virginia. Yep. And your national champion? Championship game? Championship game for me um, is going to be Penn State versus Virginia. And I got Virginia winning it all. I'm going Penn State versus Virginia, and I'm going Penn State winning it all. Ooh, high drama. So there it is. So, Andy, it was a blast to do this. We'll see you next week after the first round. Um, great insights, great stories as usual, and um, have an awesome week, buddy. You too, buddy. I'll check in. All right, see you. See you. The Phil Acrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.